Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa here. I welcome you all on this great Sunday morning. It's been an incredibly eventful week with Comic-Con going on, with all the new information coming out from San Diego, California, my hometown. A lot of great things to discuss today. We've got the excellent Vernon Wells on today. You know Vernon Wells from Mad Max? Weird Science? Inner Space? Commando? Power Rangers? I mean, it just... The list is gigantic. But more than that, this guy was part of our pop culture growing up. Without us, without him... Really, we wouldn't have a full picture of, like, the 80s. It was incredible. It's a Vernon Wells on today. At the end of the show, we should have my, uh, my cousin on, Dylan Rooster, who is a professional fighter out here in Colorado. He's a great guy. Can't wait to talk to him as well. Let's talk a little bit about Comic-Con, what's happening over there. So let's listen a little bit of some music. We'll get on some conversation. And get Vernon on as soon as possible. I know that's the reason why you're listening, everybody. Well, if you've been reading some of the some of the news and uh, seeing some of the images from Comic Con, you'll see that uh, Wonder Woman was exposed or shown for the first time. What was really interesting was the fanboys went nuts. I was saying she wasn't big enough, wasn't strong enough. Um, I, I would say the same thing that a lot of people that I respect these days say, which is Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, be careful. You, you don't know what you're going to look at. You don't know what you're going to see in action. It's easy to see a still picture. So Gil Godot is going to be the new Wonder Woman, as a lot of us know. And they showed some footage of the new Batman vs. Superman. Now, if you haven't seen this footage, it's leaking online and offline here and there. I just happen to have the privilege of, of a friend um, sending me the, uh, the images and, and the video. But in this video, shows Batman turning on the bat signal during, during, the, uh, during a storm, and he has the white lights on. It's classic Dark Knight Returns. And he, shite, he shoots the um, huge light into the air and beams it right on Superman. And the camera pans to Superman. And you can see his eyes beaming red with his, with his laser beam eyes. And at the same time, you can see you know, Ben Affleck's Batman's eyes glowing white. It's, inc- it's incredible. It's incredible to look at. So if you haven't seen this footage, it is leaking here and there. And by leaking, I mean I know the company on purpose wants you to see this footage to see if it's junk or if it's good. And everybody went nuts. When you see these, these images, when you see this video, it'll make you more anticipated to see this film than, than maybe the lottery in the next six months. So it's pretty incredible. So Batman vs. Superman is looking just fantastic. Yesterday they, they showed Gil Godot as, as Wonder Woman, and that just looks amazing. Some of the great news come out of Comic-Con is is the new Mad Max. Now we have Vernon Wells on today who was in Mad Max uh, 
fortunately now we, we have the new Mad Max, Fury Road, coming out with Charlie Theron and Thomas Harding. And we, I can't wait to talk to Vern about that movie and how that's going to come out and what his experience was on, on the Mad Max film itself. Because those films were incredibly intense. Now, I saw some of the footage from the new film, and it looks insane. So if you thought that the new Mad Max was going to be some kind of compartmentalized Mad Max movie that uh, was studio-run and studio-made and made to be made into a franchise, and yet it, it, you're, you got it completely wrong. This film, I was looking at it, and I was like, I, I don't understand what's happening. This is incredible. I can't wait to see this whole entire thing. But it looks like madness. It looks crazy. So it looks like classic Mad Max. Beautiful movie. Beautiful. Saw some of the new footage for uh, the new uh, new Avengers Age of Ultron. Can't wait to see that film. Saw the Hulk Buster outfit come out. That was incredible. That was surely incredible. They haven't mentioned why Iron Man needs to wear a Hulk Buster outfit, which, which is really cool about it. And you're going to see this is that he puts it over his Iron Man outfit. Whereas, if you know the Iron Man comic books or, or the cartoons, you'll see that he'll get into the uh, Hulk Buster um, armor by himself, but with his plain clothes. In the movie, he goes in with his Iron Man outfit, and you're thinking, you need two pieces of armor to fight the Hulk? That's intense. So, they were saying that they wanted this movie to touch base on a couple of things that were not in the comic book. So it's very interesting to see where you see the Scarlet Witch. In the comic books, the Scarlet Witch and the Vision get married and have children, and we find out later on that it's you know a dynasty moment. It's not real and all that junk. But it's really incredible to see it all coming into flourishing in a film where you have Quicksilver and you do have Scarlet Witch in this film now fighting Ultron. They want revenge. But at first, the first maybe half an hour, they're going to be bad guys. That's not secret news. That is public news. And there is so much character analyzation going on in the Avengers, it's impossible to say, you know, or, or give away too much information that's going to lead you into the storyline. The storyline is the storyline. And if you read the Age of Ultron or seen the Age of Ultron, it's pretty simple. Age of Ultron was created by Hank Pym or Tony Stark. It starts to see perfection as destruction as human beings, and there you have a war. The Vision was created by um, Hank Pym and... Uh, so Ultron was created by Hank Pym. Now it's going to be created by uh, Tony Stark. So it's going to be Jarvis. The original movies had a combination of the Division's personality being two different superheroes. And this one is going to be half Jarvis, half somebody else. So the Division's personality is going to have these two humans involved in his personality. The Vision was first introduced in comic books as being the Vision of Ultron things to come, which is why it was called the Vision. That movie just looks insane. And, and if you think that this will be a great fluff piece, The Avengers 2, this will be a nice movie to see with, with my kids, it will be a really awesome movie to see with your kids. But I will say this. If you combine Age of Ultron with, I don't know, the new Wolverine film as being as dark, or maybe the new X-Men Days of Future Past as being dark, then you're getting closer to the feel of this Joss Whedon outing. It's more closer to a dollhouse and angel than it is closer to Buffy for you, for you Josh Whedon fans out there. So it's closer to dollhouse as far, as far as pessimism, apocalyptic time, and all those things. So it's, it looks excellent. I can't wait to see that. So 
We have Fury Road, Mad Max Fury Road. You have Avengers. You have Batman vs. Superman out there. A- and The Last of Us, who's been announced as a movie. And I want you to research this and look it up and see who was, who was uh, asked to be Ellie as The Last of Us. And I think you might know this girl. She's in Game of Thrones. And she might be the youngest, youngest girl in there, maybe. You'll see. Look it up. Go to IGN.com. That's where I go. Go to AinItCoolNews.com. Go to SuperheroHype.com. These are excellent, excellent sites for resources on movie news and superhero news. I've known these guys for a very long time. I trust them. Uh, they have great reviews on these things. Especially IGN. IGN has got some great things. AinItCoolNews.com. AinItCoolNews.com. You'll find out some great information. Seven of of um, the Star Wars trilogy. The new Star Wars is going to be insane. I, I read a bit of the script. Now I'm not going to tell you who let me read a bit of the script or else that person's going to get fired. But I read a bit of the script and I loved it. I loved it. Some of it seems a little impractical. I, I think uh, some of us have read some news recently. But I don't know how close you're going you're to stick to that. And you know how you know, writing really does change once you put in the format of being filmed. Some things seem more logical than others. I want you to remember that this is Star Wars. Somebody asked me, what's the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek? Star Trek is more like science, and Star Wars is more like art. So if you're going to see what J.J.'s been doing, it's more like art. Now, the person who was able to go on set was Kevin Smith. And Kevin Smith gave us a great, great insight of what the inside of, of Star Wars Episode 7 is going to look like. A lot of practical effects. A lot of practical effects. Millennium Falcon being built by hand. When they look outside the windows, they'll be seeing things instead of just CG everywhere. But uh, something they were saying about these films, something that you'll see from the prequels. From the prequels, nobody really knew what they were doing. There was a lot of green screen, and you know, God love George Lucas. He, I don't think he really understood how to direct actors in a lot of blue screen where they had no base of reference. So it kind of was a nightmare, the first three films. These films here, it seems like people know, at least that's what Kevin Smith said, that's what J.J. Abrams is saying, that people know how to act now with green screen, with things get in their way. They know how to pick things up. They have an image in their mind. I would have to say that has something to do with J.J. Abrams, by the way. J.J. Abrams' ability to discuss with his actors and actresses on what's in front of them, what's going to be going on, what they should be inspired by. I mean, you couldn't get two better directors in the world right now making the two greatest films, J.J. Abrams and Joss Whedon. These two men really respect women. Now, if you know me personally, you know how much I love directors who respect women. I, I love to see that, like, in Mission Impossible, when Felicity got a gun. I mean, you look at Felicity, and you're like going, when's her new haircut going to appear? Remember the old days? And then you see her in in Mission Impossible, and she gets thrown a gun, and it's very natural for her. That's the incredible thing for me. So J.J. really knows how to bring out, and if you look at the casting news, they bring out, they're bringing on new cast members, new women, new men, uh, new people, and, and something that, that uh, some of the actors were saying, which is, they're a segue. The, the older cast, Luke and, and 
Leia and Han and are all segues for the younger generation to see where they're going to go. I pretty much uh, am expecting an evil empire type film. 789. Being written by Kasdan, who did uh, Empire Strikes Back. These movies are in great, great hands. So I can't wait to see the first footage of Star Wars Episode 7. It's been lingering out there that, it was, it, that it's coming out soon. So really, the, the footage to be looking out for is Mad Max, Fury Road, Batman vs. Superman, Star Wars Episode 7, and the other one I'm about to talk about, which is Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, which is no longer Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. Now, what's really interesting about that concept is Edgar Wright, as you know, directed Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Hot Fuzz, uh, Shaun of the Dead. He's an excellent, excellent director. And to, to, to lose him is a, is a nightmare, obviously. And the script has changed an extraordinary amount. Now, is there still a um, bank robbery in there somewhere that, that you remember from the original script that Edgar Wright wrote? Yes, there is. But the main bad guy is Yellow Jacket. Now, interestingly enough, if any of you are comic book you know, fans out there, I'm not going to say dork or geek or nerd because that's not the truth. We, we all like comic books, I think, these days. But if you, see the, if you read the comic books, you'll, you'll see that is first Hank Pym, and then later on, he goes through an accident, he goes through some kind of mental fission, and he turns into the Yellow Jacket. And it's all about convincing people that this is the right guy. He has a complicated story in, in, in the comic books, whereas he's the first man to ever hit a woman. So he hit a woman, and then they, they get divorced. He and, he and uh, the Wasp get divorced. It's very interesting. I mean, it's the first time in a comic book a man has ever hit a woman. Of course, Hank Pym is the first man to ever create a superhero, which is the Wasp. Interestingly enough, in this film, we found out who Evangeline Lilly's character is playing. And she's playing the Wasp. At least she's playing the character who plays the Wasp. So I'm very, very much looking forward to that. I'm really, really hoping into the Edgar Wright position there. I know a lot of people were very, very upset that Edgar Wright left the project. But I believe I know why he left the project. One of the, one of the reasons why was um, there was just, you know, there has to be a consistency between Marvel films and the rest of the Marvel Universe. And that was the problem, I think, with Edgar Wright's uh, Ant-Man, was that it was not consistent with the Marvel Universe. And I can understand why Marvel would step in. Marvel has been known for being overly protective over their properties. I, I would be too. Let's be honest, I would be too. So I think, I think they removed themselves from the situation because Edgar Wright had one vision, which I think aligned more with Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim, Pilgrim excuse me. And, um, and they, just, you know, they just went their separate ways. It looked like Paul Rudd was very broken up about it because Edgar Wright brought, brought Paul Rudd into the film. So it was very obvious that Paul Rudd was disturbed at Comic-Con he knew the questions were going to happen. He knew that people were going to ask him about this film. But you can tell that he's bothered. Because Edgar Wright brought him onto the film, cast him, pushed for him, and now Edgar Wright is gone and he's still on it. So Paul Wright is really hoping to work with Edgar Wright again. 
but of course, just having that little bit of experience with, with a creative genius like that is amazing. We're very sorry to have lost them on Ant-Man, but they showed some footage. I didn't see any of the footage, but I saw some of the older footage that Edgar Wright made, and it looks incredible. I mean, it looks incredible. And, and I want you to remember, that that's, that's the difficult part about superhero films these days is, you know, a lot of people would argue, you know, we want everything to go to Marvel. We want everything to go to Warner Brothers so they can have control of all of these properties. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want these people to own these properties. If they own these properties, they, you won't get Guardians of the Galaxy. You won't get Planet Hulk. You won't get these films because they won't have to try hard. They'll have X-Men. They'll have Fantastic Four. They'll have all these properties that are just gems like Superman, Batman. What do you think these guys were hung up for? These guys were hung up because they couldn't make a Lobo film or Green Arrow or whatever they needed to make. They, they stuck on Superman and Batman. And now Wonder Woman. They can even make a Wonder Woman film. I don't know if you remember, but they asked Joss Whedon to make a Wonder Woman script. And to make a Wonder Woman film. This is before the Avengers were ever made. I believe it's going to be a $150 million budget. Now, who would you rather make a Wonder Woman film? I mean, granted, Zack Snyder is a really great director. Would you rather have Zack Snyder or, jo- or Joss Whedon direct Wonder Woman? I know what my answer is. So, it's very interesting on how things have come into flourishing. It's obvious that people wanted more control. It's obvious that movies were segregated. So now that all of these other movie companies own Spider-Man, like Sony owns Spider-Man, that's a good thing. They can do the Sinister Six. They can do Venom. They can do all that stuff. And then 20th Century Fox owns X-Men, and they can do the X-Men films, and they can go carte blanche with that. They can have fun with that, enjoy it. And then Marvel has all these other properties, being Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man, the Hulk, Thor, Cap, Captain America, Black Panther, and then they'll have their pieces. They'll have their movies, and they'll have to dig deep to find these films. That's the excellent part of how things are going on right now. And I want you to remember that. I know it's easy to look at Gil Gadot and go, she looks too thin to be Wonder Woman. She's an Amazonian. I want you to remember that. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful and strong at the exact same time. She was in the Israeli military. So she proves that you can be beautiful and strong at the exact same time. So Comic-Con was a blast. Going from Batman versus Superman, seeing uh, Mad Max Fury Road, going to all the other films, being to Ant-Man and Age of Ultron, um, Avengers, I just can't wait. These movies are going to blow you away. Now, today, we're waiting for more news to come out of, out of, out of what Comic-Con is trying to say and what they're trying to do. There's some information that's still a little loose that's supposed to come out. I can't wait for today, for, for later on, for, for more information to come out. Next week, we'll talk some more about Comic-Con. But this is just a little bit of news on what happened uh, in the past maybe three days. So. I hope you enjoyed that news. If you have any questions about Superman and Batman, any of that footage coming on, please give us a call. Uh, 657-383-1444 is our number here for guests calling. Call in. Let's have a discussion about your favorite superhero film, something that you wanted to see. Were you at Comic-Con? If you were at Comic-Con, what did you see? What did you enjoy? Other than the Booth Girls, guys. Okay. I want to hear from you. All right, we're going to take a short little break here. We're going to bring on the always brilliant Vernon G. Wells. 
All right, here we are, bringing on the great Vernon G. Wells. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Steve. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on today. You know, a lot of news has been coming out of Comic-Con of, of, of the new Mad Max film, and it's just perfect timing to have a great conversation with you. But thank you so much for joining us today. I, I, was, I, I couldn't wait to have you on the show. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that is a big um, intro. Well, hope I live up know, to you, it. You should... Oh, you always live up to it. We 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 talked in the middle of the um, the Lackey film. Uh, uh, Vernon G. Wells was in, in the Lackey with us, as well as Doctor. You know, um, a lot of other films. But we're we're talking about uh, Lackey. We talked in front of Lackey. And we had a great conversation about your character and what your character does in, in the Lackey. I, I really love that part. But I want to go back to Australia when you first started off, because before Mad Max: The Road Warrior, I mean, you have Cash and Company, Homicide, Madlock, Police. Prisoner Cell Block H, Special Special Squad. What started you off in, in the film industry? Because uh, you started off what 1975. Yeah, um, probably a little bit before that. Uh, well, my mother was a, a songwriter, and um, I kind of followed in her footsteps and uh, became a, a singer in in uh, groups. So I was in a couple of very big groups in Australia. And that seemed to be uh, where I was going to um, do my thing, so to speak. And I was involved in a, a bad car accident uh, while we were traveling uh, with the band. And while I was recovering, I wasn't able to work. And I was becoming a real pain in the, in the butt to our manager. And he went out, took my photo out, and, and took it around to all these uh, casting agents trying to get me a job as a model or something to get me out of his hair. And um, I actually got hired to do um, uh, modeling work, and I, I did a series of commercials for a cigarette called Braddock Cigarettes, which never actually got launched. It was just uh, a way of getting rid of money uh, by the cigarette company. Uh, to start this wow. new brand that they never intended having. But I didn't mind. I was getting paid to do the job. And I right. kind of went, well, gosh, I'm making all this money and I'm not sharing it with five other guys. What the hell? Sounds like a good thing to do. So um, I started uh, modeling. Then I got a little bored with it. Modeling's very repetitious. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I was still working in the um, entertainment side of things, working in a floor show. Uh, working at nightclubs and things, um, singing. And um, I got into the acting by sheer accident. The lady whose company had hired me to work as a model asked me if I would consider doing some extra work in some um, television shows. And I was like, well, sure, why not? And uh, the one thing I never wanted to do was be in front of the camera. I did not want to be an actor. It was like the furthest thing from my mind. Hated cameras, hated being in front of them. But I was happy to be an extra because I could blend into the crowd and never be noticed. But unfortunately, as um, Providence would have it, I kept being drugged to the front of the crowd by the directors and they would give me a line here, a line there to say. And then gradually um, I got used to it and began to enjoy it. And 
I had a fixation with behind the camera. I really, really loved being with the crew. To me, they seemed to be the guys that had all the fun stories and doing all the fun stuff. And um, I was doing a lot of um, documentary stuff as a uh, sort of the, the front, being the one standing out in front of the camera going, you know, uh, today we're here at Mount Isa and we're going to talk to the mining engineers, blah, blah. I did a lot of that for this one particular director. But I was always behind the camera with his cameraman trying to find out what he was doing. And he asked me what I wanted to do one day, whether I wanted to be an actor or... Um, a cameraman. I said, no, I didn't want to be a cameraman, but I wanted to be a de director. I wanted to take his job. So he thought <laughs> that was quite quite interesting. And lo and behold, about three months later, he hired me to uh, be his assistant. And over three years, I uh, learned how to uh, be uh, a director and producer, and I started directing commercials and things. And I thought, that was it. That was me. I was I was in heaven. And um, I got asked to do uh, a stage play because um, I was still being asked to work as an actor, which I would do, but I wasn't really, uh, you know, a lot of those um, uh, television shows that you're, you're talking about, um, Cop Shop and all those, uh, I was doing sure. as I went along, but nothing um, that was of any consequence in, in moving my career anywhere. Directing was, was the thing that I was uh, enjoying. And then I got asked to do a stage play called Hosanna by Michelle Tremblay. And oh, yeah. I refused to do it. Yeah, it's a big, big play, but I refused to do it because it was about two guys, um, one being gay and the other being uh, her boyfriend. And uh, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be cast yeah. that way. And it kind of went on for about uh, six weeks until finally I relented and um, did the play. And it's like all that they say, if there's a destiny, my grandfather, whom I grew up with, used to always say to me that your life is planned from the moment you're born and that you have choices that you can make. But ultimately, if, if there's a plan involved, that you will come back to where you're supposed to be no matter what turns you take. You will always be led back. And um, I guess the plan was that I was going to be an actor because... I did this play under duress. I really didn't want to do it. And finally, when I um, decided I would do it, I uh, was seen by George Miller's fiance, who contacted George and said, I've found the guy to play Wes. And uh, George nice. flew down from, from Sydney. Um, we went out and had a cup of coffee, silly jokes to each other for 20 minutes and talked about um, all kinds of things, not one thing about the film because I had no idea what the film was. He left and went back right. to Sydney. And about a month later, I got um, a call from my agent saying that I had to fly to Sydney for um, camera tests, makeup tests, and wardrobe tests before filming began. And that's basically how it all started. For, for, for Wes, for, for the World Warrior. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, grow, growing up, seeing you, I, uh, I'm first-generation American. Both my parents came from different countries. Uh, we were into right. cinema. I would see rated R films as an 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old. I saw The Road Warrior in the theaters. Uh, when I first saw you in The Road Warrior, I mean, that was a pop culture burned in reference into my brain. I know a lot of people have the same experience, but when I first saw your face, I couldn't get your face out of my head my entire life. 
And, and that's what's incredible about a character like yourself, that you, you, you literally are a part of American pop culture now. Being, and we're going to talk about the films that you've been in, but Commando, Weird Science, uh, you know, uh, Power Rangers, you, you, you are an essential part of our pop culture. And I remember when Sean Pacino came up to me with the script for The Lackey, the last part when you were, you were added into the film, when he told me that you were on the film, I knew immediately what I wanted to come out of your mouth because I've seen you since a child and I was so excited, I was beyond belief. Have you, have you had oh. those experiences? Yeah, I, I, it's, it, to me it's strange. I guess because I, I never grew up with this, this fantasy of being the movie star, you know. To me, I, I grew up being an actor, you know. I worked for what I got. Um, I enjoyed what I did. I had no illusions about who I was. So I, I never, and even now, um, I, I can tell you a funny story. I was with my my sure. wife in, in Las Vegas and we were in an elevator and we were up on like the 22nd floor and we climbed in and the elevator went down a couple of floors, stopped and this gentleman got in and I was talking to Grace and all of a sudden this guy turned around and he, he just stood there with big eyes and went, oh my God, you're the guy from Road Warrior, oh my God. <laughs> and I said, yes. And he went, oh my God. And that was it. For the whole trip, all right. the way down to the, to the, to the ground. Mm-hmm. He just stood staring at me with these big eyes. When he got out of the elevator, my wife hit me in the arm and she said, you're such an arrogant shit. Why didn't you talk to him? And I went, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, you know, I was scared of the guy. He was just so like, ah. And no that's, that's what I get. I, I just, I find it incredibly humiliating that people react to what I've done so overtly. Um, right. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just so uh, struck by it. It, it. It's like, my God. And I have the same problem with other actors. I will see actors. I, I was introduced yeah. to Clint Eastwood and I couldn't talk. Mm. I was just so <laughs> in awe of this man that I stood there with my mouth open. And when, when, when he had sort right. of talked to me for a couple of minutes, he just looked at me and he went, wonderful conversation. And I hadn't said a word. I didn't know what to, I was just like, my God, it's, it's just, <laughs> I have that reaction with other actors and people have it with me, which kind of amuses me. I get it a lot. I do a lot of the conventions yeah. as you're aware, I get asked to do them yeah. and people come up to me and they're, they're just like, so they want to meet me so bad. They want to have a photograph with me, this whole thing. And I, I'm, I'm just so struck by it that, that these people want to do this when, you know, I, I don't consider I've done anything that's that special. I think more, George Miller made me in Road Warrior. Oh, yeah. You know, you're talking about Josh right. Whedon and all these wonderful directors. George Miller right. to me, is, it was my, my soul. He was what got me. He, he, when, when I first did Road Warrior, we did a week of, of writing a backstory. We talked around tables, talking about all the characters with the writer and with George and just fleshing out who we were, fleshing out where we came from, deciding what had happened. And we just went over it and over it and over it until we had 
the story of Wes from when he was born. I knew who this man was. I knew what he'd gone through. I really? knew why he was where he was. Yeah. That was how he, he built those characters for us. And everybody in the film. I mean, Mel didn't have to do it because he had already built his character from the first one. Right. But all right. of us that were in the, in the second one, we, we built these characters so that when you were on set, George could just talk to you as the character. If you ever got to a point where you went, George, what do I do? He would just go, what would Wes do? And of course, you would revert really? back to what you decided. And then you'd go, well, Wes would do this, 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 and this. And he'd go, there you go. So you always had this thing where you knew who you were and who the character was. And, and all the things that you saw in the character were built from this knowledge of who he was and how he would react to every situation. I mean, the man is a genius. He knows exactly right. how to make it work. And that's why just branching across to Fury Road, I think that this is just um, going to be amazing. Oh, it's, You know, Vernon, I was shocked that they asked George Miller to do this film because, you know, when they asked the original director of Conan to direct the next film with the Wachowski brothers, it went nowhere. But with, with George Miller, I, I saw the footage last night, sir, and, and it was incredible. I mean, if yep. you thought that the, you know, I think people thought that it was going to be, you know, soft because of the new age and people are a little different nowadays. No, no, it was equally as uh -huh. vicious as, as the first three movies, including Thunderdome. What? Yep. No, I... I so, um, uh, so, sorry, go ahead, you go. No, 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 you, sir. Go. Oh, um, no, I was, I was just going to say that I, I knew that George on this one was, it, it was, it was going to be balls to the wall, as they say, um, <laughs> because it was the obvious choice. A lot of people did not like Thunderdome because it seemed to go away from the established criteria of the first two. Um, and I think that, that what he wanted to do was what, what a lot of these reboots do now. They go back to the original. They go back to what was successful, what people wanted, what people screamed for. And I think that's what he's done. He's gone back to where Mad Max 1 started. Mad Max 2 continued and took that in a whole another place. And I think you're going to find with this one the same thing. This is going to take the Mad Max um, concept to a whole different place. You know, I remember seeing Mad Max uh, in the theaters, and you know, Mel Mel Gibson at the time and right now really was your pop culture go-to action guy. And oh, yeah. uh, he, he was still he, he was still fresh out of Australia, but he still did, he still has done a lot of films at, at, before um, Road Warrior that you know made him made him notice us. So, anyways, mm -hmm. when when I saw that film. The thing about your character is you battled Mel Gibson in a way that a lot of us in America did not see anybody having the ability to do. In America, we, we didn't see anybody who was able to match Mel Gibson's acting chops, uh, action chops, or just craziness. And, and, you know, when you look at Lethal Weapon and what have you, you know, he has that kind of crazy kind of attitude and personality about mm -hmm. him. He's very, very cool. So when you saw this film, you're thinking Mel Gibson's just going to destroy everybody with his personality. But when you came on, and you show us those huge eyes, and that's fear. That is true fear from an audience. And I remember how the audience perceived your character, which was fear, <laughs> personified. 
Uh-huh. Did you see the same thing in Australia? Did, did you see any of that in Australia? Were people scared of you when that first film first came out? Or Yeah, I, I still see it now at times. I see it in directors when I work with them, that um, they, they will back off if they think they've upset me. And it's really weird because... And like I love being directed, and I love having discussions about what I'm doing. You know, I, I like, yeah, I, I love like getting into it about the character and where we're going with the film right. because that's, yeah, that's the way I work. And sometimes directors get a little scared of it, and they just back right off and they go, okay, okay, whatever you want to do. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You know, I'm not being aggressive about this. I'm just. Right. You know, I, I, I just want to, I'm in, in, you know, I get so excited about what I'm doing. And I think that excitement about what I'm doing sometimes parlays into this bigger than life character who's coming at you. And uh, people tend to be like, whoa, you know, I, I don't want to meet him in a dark alley if he's pissed. Um, but I just find it funny because, like you said, that's not who I really am. I just, right. you know, I just love life and people. I guess this ability to be able to take these characters that are totally weird and uh, a little a little uh, bit um, scary of, of what we would consider to be the norm and turn them into something that I can put on film that terrifies people. And I, I actually had someone tell me one day, they said, the reason that you're so successful at doing this is that you're so damn charming and you're so good looking, and when you do it, I would agree. People, people marry into what you're doing, and that's terrifying. He said because suddenly they're looking at you and they're going, "Oh, he's so cool," and then they're like, "Oh my God, he just cut that guy's head off," and it's a terrifying <laughs> thought. You know, they just they're like, "Oh dear God," you know, because they suddenly right. realize that they could be standing at the bar with you having a drink because they like you. Right. And that's probably why it works so well. Right. And, you know, I'm just oh, lucky, I guess, in that, that I can do that. I find you, I mean, we've, we've spoken many times. I find you incredibly affable, very approachable. I mean, you're, you're a writer's, uh, not, to, not to be too, too vulgar, but you're a writer's wet dream. I mean, the questions <laughs> I had for you on script, you know, the, the questions I had for you on script rewriting, you went on for me for an hour I recorded you. And you went into detail about how you feel about that character, how you see that character, where you want to see it going. For a writer's perspective, I mean, you just wrote my character for me. And that's, that's why I always saw you as, this guy is an actor supreme. Because this guy knows how to work with writers, directors, producers, actors, the whole gambit. Do you, do you find that that works in your advantage in Hollywood these days? Especially when it's, you know, a lot of things are going through social media and what have you. Yeah, strangely, it ability. works. Um, oh, sorry, Steve. It, it, it no, works no, with the with the smaller films, you know, with the the films you're doing, like with you guys. Um, with as you know, how much I I love the Lackey, um, right. and it uh, it works in those because I get to have these discussions. I get to sort of put forward where I think the character is, how I think the character works. Um, I did a wonderful little film two years ago called Savior of None, which the character in it is, is like the heart of the film and the soul of the film. And um, I got it and I had like a day to play with it before they flew me to Sacramento to film. And, and um, the director 
was a little concerned because this character had to work. You know, if it didn't work, the film really didn't work. And uh, when, we, when I got off a plane, he picked me up and we're driving in the car and he said, um, would you like me to tell you how I see the character? And I, I did what I did to you. I said, do you mind if before you tell me, I tell you what I see? And he said, right. oh, sure. Did what I did to you. I just went into this outline of the character and where I saw it and how I saw it and what the character's emotional content was and the whole nine yards of what I had drawn out of what he'd written. And when I finished, he looked at me and he went, don't need to say a bloody word, do I? Right. And that was his, that was his whole thing. I had got every, every beat. But to me... That's not anything special. That's what you're supposed to do as an actor, for God's sake. This is a job a, that we do. It's a profession. As a professional actor, that's, that's your job. I mean, it's your job to figure out what your character is and where to go. But not a lot of actors yes. do that. A lot of actors, kind of, you know, they, they, they sit in the back seat and they let the director direct them. Whereas I see you as more of an active, uh, active creator. Yes, I love I love the the whole process. But as we were saying, you know, what, do I enjoy? I love doing it. But when you get into the bigger films, the studio films, and things like that, you don't have the time or the ability to be able to do that because they come pretty much prepackaged. Right. So they they kind of give you what you're going to do, and you can put in your ten cents, and you can try to to formulate the character the way you want it to go. Um, but a lot of it is prepackaged for the way they want it um, to be. So you don't have a, a, as much creative input as you would like at times, because sometimes you look at it and you think, eh. although sometimes I do, I mean, Commando, most of that I sort of did myself anyway. Well, that, that brings me to the segue of the, of the next film, which is Weird Science. I, Weird Science, oh, the yeah. greatest movie you know, when I first saw that film, when you came out, the first thing I thought to myself was, these guys were thinking of the deepest fears, which is the Road Warrior. Because your character looked exactly like from the Road Warrior, which, which is interesting because in that environment, you look even scarier than you did in the Road Warrior. Because you're in a room full of 40 dorks, and then you come out, and then all hell breaks loose. Yep. What was, it was, your, it was, what was your experience like on that film? Yeah. The experience was amazing because that was the first thing I did in America. I, I, I had no illusions about coming to America ever. Um, I was an Australian, happy to be an Australian, you know, and I, I looked at America like this this big uh, place where where you were where there was you know billions of people and you stood no chance as a little guy to go anywhere. So it didn't interest me. I was more intrigued staying at home and it took them quite a while actually took Joel Silver's people a while to get me to agree to come over and do that film because it terrified me to come here and also it it was trying to put it together in my brain that that I was going to come over and send up a character that had become so iconic in the film industry and was it were were people going to look at me and go oh my god what are you doing Um, so I had to kind of decide whether I could do justice to the character and I could do justice to Wes as well as come over here and be an actor. And in the finish, I decided, you know what, damn it, I'm just going to do it. You know, what the hell? If if I fall on my ass, I fall on my ass. That was the simplicity of it. And it was just a send-up of Wes. And I had a ball. I mean, once I got over here and started work on it i just loved it and and working with the director on that particular film whom i 
had such John, a wonderful John time Hughes. with John Hughes. Um, I, I just had so much fun doing the film. Um, and the funny thing is, um, if you look at that film, you were talking about Iron Man. Yes. That particular person was in it. Yes. Way back then, he was one of the bad, badass kids in it. So, you know, Robert yeah. was in it. There was a lot of people who have gone on to bigger and, and better things were in that little film. And Isn't I just incredible? had a ball. Yes. And I, I just had a I ball mean, in the film. That's awesome. I, your character was, was is, is off, you know, for us in, in America, 1985 is the, these are the cinema years for us. These are years where Godzilla 1985 came out, Pee Wee Herman's Next Adventure, yep. 2010 yep. came out. A lot of great movies came out in 1985. And we're science really, I mean, stuck in our brain. John Hughes being a gigantic director, um, bringing you over. How much of a say did he have on you being on the film? And what was your communication like with him being on that film? Um, he decided that he wanted me for that particular role. And so, surprising enough, Joel Silver was the force behind me doing it. Really? Um, yes, he really wanted me to do that role, and John was all for it. So um, it was uh, just, you know, once they decided that was basically it, I didn't have a lot of say in it. Um, you had two very um, big people in the industry at that stage, and, and one of them still is, Joel, and I'm sure that if, if John yeah. was still alive, he would be a huge force in the industry still. Um, oh, yeah. And, just doing it. I, I was a new kid on the block. I'm not going to lie and say I came over here. You're, this is really cool. I came over here terrified. I was a new kid on the block. I, I was just, I just wanted to crawl up in a corner continuously and hide. You know, I was so scared of everything. Um, right. But Joel took me out to all of the casting directors, got me around, got me to see people. And his next project, as you are aware, was Commando. And yes. he uh, took me to the director because he wanted me to, to do Commando. And the director turned me down. He said, no, I don't want really? it. And so, yep. Um, so Joel said, okay, fine. So they hired someone else. And once again, I guess sometimes what's meant to be is. And uh, he didn't work out. And about six weeks into production, I believe, they recast. And I got the call from Australia to get over here. I know that so, Mark Lesser directed that film. Command, Commando Lesser was a huge that. film. Yes, yep. Mark Lesser directed that film. That was a huge film for us because Alyssa Milano was a gigantic star in America. So she was yep. somebody that a lot of us young people were you know, attached to. And then, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger was at really reaching the peak of his filmmaking. Yep. And, and this film was just incredible. The character of Bennett that you play... It w w by the way, is one of the, the most recreated lines I know, other than get to the chopper, which is, Bennett! It's, <laughs> your character was amazing. How, how did you, you know, because you're, you're, you're getting the bad guy area here. So you're playing bad guys here. You're going on the commando. You're going toe-to-toe you're -to -toe with one of the biggest stars at the, at the moment that's rising. How do you make a bad guy character? How do you conceptualize that person? Um, I... It's the same as I work with everything. I just looked at the script, looked at the character, decided where the character should be, figured out his his thing. Because to me, the whole film was 
basically about those two people, Arnold and me, and that I always wanted right. to be Arnold. And that I was there to prove that I could be Arnold. And that was basically the film, was that this, this character, the character of Bennett, always wanted to be Matrix. And always right. saw himself as being better than Matrix. Always considered that he should have been the one in charge. So you, you just had this, and that was the basis of how you get your character. And then it was simple. I mean, everything he did was to try and get to that point, to show that he was better. And that was the whole point. Right. But once he got the chance to go out there and prove that he had always been better than him, then he took it. And um, it's funny, I'll tell you a little story about that. When I first arrived in America, I really didn't know who Arnold Schwarzenegger was, couldn't even pronounce his name, for God's sake. And um, <laughs> I uh, arrived from Australia, and, and because the film was in production, they took me virtually straight from the plane to the hotel, dropped off my stuff and took me to the set. And everybody wow. loves to knock the costume I wore, but most of the costume wasn't made for me it was made for the other actors so it really didn't fit me that well they let things out and did things to try and make it work but it was a little tight in places and um when i arrived on the set I, I as you've seen me i work in a totally different way to a lot of american actors i don't walk around the set being the actor and i don't stand every time we do a rehearsal i don't walk out there and start you know rah, rah, rah. i'm usually very quiet and i like to watch where the lights camera are and what the other actors are doing to get my feel for where i fit so of course i'm a little tired well i'm on the set first time still got got jet lag and um, I'm, I'm standing quietly and, and they're doing rehearsals and I'm just sort of walking up to him. And the first scene I ever shot was the one where he was on the table tied down and I put the knife to his throat and um, I tell him that I'd like, you know, that I'd like to cut his throat and I would have except I'm not allowed to, but I will. Um, so it's that scene, which is a little intense scene. It's a little fun scene. So all through the rehearsals, I'm just sort of walking up to Arnold and going, oh, yes, you know, if I had my way, I'd catch your throat, blah, blah, looking where the cameras and lights and everything are. So Arnold calls Joel over and he says, I don't think this is going to work. And Joel says, well, what's wrong? He says, well, he's a pussy, you know, he's just, you know, he's supposed to be tough, big, strong. And and, uh, Joel was like, well... um, This is getting interesting. Yes, and so Joel said to Arnold, he said, well, look, let's just shoot this scene, and if, if you think it's not going to work, then we'll, we'll have to figure, figure something else out. So Arnold's like, all right, we'll do this scene. So, of course, the minute the director says action, I just become Bennett, and I sort of leap onto Arnold, and I got this knife halfway up, he's, what's it? To, and I do the whole thing on him, and when it's over, Joel walked over to him, and he said, uh, what do you think? And he went, never give him a real knife. <laughs> and that was the end of it. It was over. It was like Arnold was a little scared that I was going to cut his throat. Um, so he worked well, out he did, very quickly how I worked. Sorry, he did. He did say what he said. I mean, I mean, you don't say things like that and not expect something in return. I'll be honest with you. It was fun. You know, to me, it was it, it was just you know it was just a fun little little time there. You know, I love Arnie, and it was yeah. just, just it was just that you know people don't when people don't know who you are when you're the new boy on the block when when you're an sure. unknown entity, everybody has has a problem with how they see what you're going to do, and I mean, 
Right. I came to this country with Mad Max, you know, and that was what everybody saw me as. And right. uh, Mad Max became an iconic film in this country. It became one of those much copied, much loved, much quoted yes. films. Um, not because of me, not because of anything, because of the brilliance of George Miller. And, you know, you, you have to give him all the credit in the world because that man knew what he wanted, knew how to get it, and knew how to make it. And that was where you come from, and you come with that, and there's an expectation that comes with that that people have. And that expectation, right or wrong, is sometimes not how you work. They have this expectation that you're going to be bigger than life, that you're going to walk in kicking, kicking down the doors, and that, that you're, you're going to throw people up against the wall and threaten their lives, you know, that kind of thing. That is not a reality of, of, of how you are sometimes, you know. You, you're not like that. So they get a little put off. They're like, oh, crap, he's a really nice guy. So um, you you have to once but once people get over that once they get to know you and after you've been here a certain amount of time and and done a considerable amount of films people start to understand who you are and what you are so things become a lot easier thank God but uh, right. yeah I I just love it you know I this is my profession this is what I do for a living this is what I do because I love it I I love entertaining people I love talking to people at conventions I adore the fact that people like what I do it amazes me at times why but I just adore the fact that they love what I do and I'm always flattered when people like yourself who I love because of what you've written and how you've made uh, this this film come up to me and you're more enthralled to meet me than I am to do your film, if you understand what I'm saying. I'm more enthralled for doing your oh. film. You're all enthralled because you've got me in it. So it's kind of this yes. mutual admiration society. Um, <laughs> I don't think I ever will get past that point of, of, of just being in awe of everything I do. Um, right. I always decided if ever I start to take this business for granted and I don't have the courtesy to look into the character, look into who I am, look into what people want from me, that I shouldn't be here and that I will quit. Um, that's never happened. I don't see it happening. But it's, I think that's where a lot of people lose that whole thing of, of being um, an actor they kind of drift into this, well, I've made it now, I'll just relax and just do my thing. Right. And I really don't think you can do that. I think you have to be prepared to go out there every time someone points a camera at you and create a character, create something that's unique. I love the challenge. That's my whole thing. Is I love the challenge of being able to take whatever the character is and create something unique in some way, give it a little little edge a little even if it's a good guy give it a little edge give it a little something you know make right. it kind of work you know I, I just finished a film in australia called um bat out of hell which we just finished doing green screen for yes. last week and um i do the the character in that um which i had a lot of fun doing because you're never sure until nearly the end of the film whether he's the good guy the bad guy or just this person who you're not quite sure why he's there and that would to me was the fun of doing that character that you i had to create this kind of persona that went through the film so 
you know, it's all, to me, it's all fun. And it's all yes. work, and I love it, and I love doing it. We're looking forward to Bad Out of Hell, and we got, we're going to have links on to the, our Facebook account, Facebook Cinema Files Radio. Come on, look at us today. you find all, all of uh, Vernon G. Wells' uh, IMDb, as well as his projects, as well as Bad Out of Hell, and some other production things that I want you to look at from, from stuff that he's worked on. But it's also, I want to go back a little bit, because from, from Commando, you're pretty much now taking over American TV. So you're going to some of our favorite shows, which is The Fall Guy, The Knight Rider, and then you go into Inner Space. I mean, this is really our 1985, 1986 you know, TV show pop culture. So the, you go from The Fall Guy, and then you go to Knight Rider. Seeing those shows in Australia, how, how do those two things come apart, and how do you feel like going behind the sausage factory where they make the sausage? Because I'm pretty sure you saw Knight Rider or The Fall Guy in Australia. Am I right? Yep. Um, it was... It was fun, um, you know, and you've got to remember that when I did those films, it was a time when, when movie actors didn't really do television. You were kind of considered, right. if you went from a movie to television, of, oh, yeah, his career's over. Right. It was that whole, right. and yet to me, I didn't have that that feeling. To me, it was like, well, crap, I'm, I'm an actor, you know, they've offered me a job on television. I'm doing the same job as I'm doing on a film. I just don't have as much time, so I have to create a character right. real quick. Um, and I just, I loved it. And there were, there, were, there were shows that I had seen and that I knew and that just being asked to do them was was like fanboy day. You know, yeah, I'm going to go on the set. You know, it was like that. that I just had so much fun with it that I was out there playing um, and, you know, doing Night Rider and getting to see Kit. Ooh, that was really cool. Um, it was just that was the way it was for me. I just loved it and still do. You know, I get a kick out of doing those things. I thought, you know, watching you as, as a kid in all those shows, it, it definitely placed you into our pop cultural reference in our brains here. You also did MacGyver from 1985 to 1989, which is one of our favorite shows out here because we always make jokes like MacGyver could make a car out of a piece of cabbage and a, and a toothpick. So, yep. how, how was your experience on MacGyver? Because we, we really loved we loved that show growing up and see, seeing you in mm-hmm. it. Because I remember you in the show. I, I I loved it. Ricky Dean and I became good friends, and um, I I really really loved doing the show. It was it was fun. It was you know I'll, I I've got to say that everything I do I enjoy. Some things I enjoy more, and I really love working with uh, Ricky Dean Anderson. He was just a lot of fun to be around, and just such a, a cool dude he was just so cool and um it was just a thrill to be on a show that was that successful i mean you're talking about me going on to shows that are established that are iconic shows on television you know um yes i, I yes. was just like thrilled to be on them and uh he was yeah he he was just a lot of fun because i did a few episodes of that show always different characters i don't know why they kept bringing me back to do stuff so i guess i like me um, but and it was fun. Yeah. Brought you on four different times, I believe. Right? Four different times. Uh, you played uh, yeah. Paul Donny, you played Caitlin, you played uh, Paul Doheny. It's, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, but, um, I, I remember you. In the I remember you, MacGyver. That was incredible. So we're going to mount your, your your next series of, of of things going on here, which is the Power Rangers, which I had yeah. no idea you were involved in until way later on. So. Please tell me about this experience. I really want to hear this experience. 
that was, how did that, how? <laughs> that was that was interesting. It was probably uh, one of those things where I I got asked to audition. I was actually in in Las Vegas doing a show called um, Inside Las. Uh, sorry, yeah, Inside Las Vegas, doing a television um, thing, and um, I got asked to audition for that show because. Um, Koichi, who was at that stage one of the directors and the, um, the stunt coordinator I had worked with on a film. And uh, I didn't know that he did um, Power Rangers. And when they decided to cast this character, who was never in the original series, they wrote this whole character in because they felt that female villains in that series just weren't working, so they needed to get a male villain in. So they wrote You're this Rancic, whole right? character. Rancic, yeah. They wrote this whole character. And he had to be human, you know, a humanoid, not not in a suit. So they uh, wrote this character in. And um, I got asked if I would audition for it. So I came down from Las Vegas. And I walked into a room full of all these people that I had seen on television shows. And I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing here? This is ridiculous. Um, I did my audition saw Koichi and I was like what the hell are you doing here and he said well I'm one of the directors and I was like oh that's cool didn't really phase me any so when I did my audition I went back to Las Vegas and two days later I got a call to come back and do a second audition I I thought this is kind of silly and um, I went back and the room was smaller you know there wasn't quite as many people in there uh, but I still knew all of them so I went in did my audition Left, went back to Las Vegas, and I thought that was it, that I wasn't going to get it. And, and I didn't hear anything for like a week or so. And then uh, my agent rang me and said, they need you back in Los Angeles to do uh, a final audition because the executive producer hasn't been able to be at the auditions. He he had the flu or something at the last audition. He couldn't be there. So he wants to see certain people, and you're one of them, so you have to go back. So I like to pulled my butt all the way back from from uh, the the fun lights back here and I went in and did the same audition again and uh, that was it as far as I was concerned I left and nobody commented by the way at any of these auditions there was never any like oh do this do that it was just you went in you did your audition I went in did my audition left and I went back to Vegas again and they rang me uh, three days later my agent rang me and said you got it and I was like, what? He said, you got it. You're the new that's a, character that's in in the thing. And I was like, oh, dear God. So I had to come down. They had to do all these fittings for the costume, for the makeup, for everything. And you know what? It was such a pleasure because the kids in that show were just amazing. They really, really put their, their heart into it. And one of them, or, or two of them actually, the Red Ranger, and uh, Aaron Cahill, who was a pink ranger. Aaron is one of my best friends. We have lunch and dinner all the time. She's at my house a lot. Love her to death. Um, we stayed friends. Um, other people from the cast wow. we stayed friends with. And I think what really was a fun thing is that they they had a couple of good seasoned actors in that cast. And so the writers started writing scripts that were a lot different in the way they were written than, than in previous seasons and right. once my 
my, I got on really well with a girl that played my daughter in the, the series, who, by the way, was supposed to have been the villain. That was how the thing was originally written uh, in Japan, right. where she was the villain, but she became my daughter, Nadira. And, um, right. and I got on so famously with Erin that they started writing these scripts that sort of showed all of that, and there was this kind of little thing that people use, still do today, they say to me, was the Pink Ranger your other daughter? You know, you're like, no, she was a Pink Ranger, and you know. But because there was this kind of thing between us, people wanted they they had this feeling that maybe there was a relationship there. And so it all worked for them, uh, believe it or not, just because we all got on. And it turned out that that, that became, yeah, well, that season became one of the best seasons they've had in the whole time they've ever had uh, the show going. They made well, four make, films. Oh, I'm very. Let's make this clear to the audience. This is Power Rangers Time Force. So if you're looking yeah, for, Power if you're looking Time Force. Time Force, you can find it on Netflix. You can find it on the Amazon Prime. Uh, his name, his character's name is Randick, and it played 2001. So guys, look it up, please. Vern, continue. It was it was fun, and you know what? Uh, the one thing that I loved about it was they actually did a two part um, episode where they had Rancic play a Wes character, which I thought was just wonderful. We did a two-part that was called um, uh, Film Fantasy, I think they called it, and that was where each one of the, the Rangers had this film fantasy that, of a character they wanted to be in film. And I played like a Wes character that was kind of chasing all of them throughout these whole things, trying to, to disrupt everything. And we shot it over at Universal. It was just the most fun I've ever had. And I just loved being Wes again for, for 10 minutes. That is awesome. Now, now, I hope you don't mind talking about this, but you, you met your, your wonderful and beautiful wife on, on the show as well, the series? Um, no, she, I, I, no, I met uh, Grace. Um, she has nothing to do with, with film or entertainment. She has her own company, and I met her 22 years ago um, when I needed some work done on a script, um, and she had a typing service, and I met her there and um, fell madly in love, as they say, and that was the end of it. We've been uh, married for 22 years. She's a fantastic woman. She's a, she's a great person. How has she oh, yeah. influenced you as far as, as far as filmmaking goes? Because when, when, we, when we saw it together and we were watching a movie, like The Lackey, and she, she liked it and she told you about it, it, it really seemed like she was your, your number one fan or your number one supporter. How does, it, how does it feel like to have somebody like that in your life at this part she's, of your career? Uh, well, she's kind of my number one fan and my number one critic. Um, Right. She will openly tell me if I've done something bad. She'll just look at me and go, seriously, Vernon? And it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, but she also um, is always behind me 100%. I have to give her credit that she she just, you know, whatever I have to do to be in the film or to do a film, she is 100% there without any any problems, without any thinking about it. She's right there behind me, which I love. And um, she's sort of, she met me at a time when personally, not career-wise, but personally and career-wise, well, yeah, career-wise, I was going through a really bad spot. I had um, found out that my initial um, 
um, people that were doing all my accounting and looking after all my funds had stolen all my money, hadn't paid my taxes. I was being sued by the IRS. I'd just gone through a divorce. Um, it was just not a good time for me. Uh, personally, I had um, kind of started to not be so interested in what I was doing as an actor. Um, and then I met her, and she is um, Japanese-American and Buddhist, so she kind of instilled in me this whole different attitude of of being relaxed and calm. And You know, I'm still volatile, don't get me wrong. I'm an Australian, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> but she instilled in me this, this calmness of acceptance and how to work through all these things and to get from point A to point B, which is, as, as a very, very, very good friend of mine says, she saved your life, which is true. She did. Right. She took right. me from where I was going and made me come back. You know, one of my one of my favorite lines is, is behind every powerful man is a woman who thinks he's an idiot. <laughs> it, it, it's really amazing how when people come into your life like this, like your like your wife, and I met her, and she's incredibly sweet. The one thing we have in common yes. is the Buddhism, and, and, and the Japanese perspective as well. I'm half Japanese. Yep. What? Yes, she just uh, it, has that she has a, whole thing. She does. She Sorry. has the whole package. And, and, and yeah. let me ask you a question. Do you find it important? Because, you know, in the martial art field, in the movie field, in the writing field, I find it's very important to have people who support you, especially loved ones and what have you. Do you find that now in Hollywood, especially being a little bit older, that it's better to have somebody by your side who supports you, who follows along? Or, or do you think it's better just to be by yourself? I, I know what your answer is going to be, but I just want to hear from you. No, I'm 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 all for having the someone beside you because that you need you need to be able to walk away from what you do and become real. It's that simple. You know, you can't carry. You know, if I carried these characters around with me, seriously, I probably would have been up on 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 multiple rape and murder charges a long time ago because they, you know, right. if you're going to let them ingrain into your brain and become a part of your psyche, you know, that's a scary thought. Whereas you need to have somebody right. who, who is willing to take you away from it. We have a straight life. We do dumb things. Um, you know, we just enjoy ourselves and, and go and do things and we have a, a kind of uh, unwritten thing between us that, that acting is not the end all and be all. It's it's part of what I do. So therefore, we don't try to fit into that culture. What we try to do is do what I do, use it, and and be part of it. But also have the other side of that is, you know, right now I'm sitting on my deck, and I'm looking at the ocean and the waves crashing, and watching the helicopters fly along the Pacific coast here, and thinking. This is what it's all about. This is right. what I enjoy. This is the part of me that I love. As my little dog's laying on the thing beside me here, we've just taken him for a walk. Grace, in about um, five minutes, is going to head off to her yoga class. And, you know, to <laughs> me, that's, that's, that's life. Not right. this, this fantasy we create. The fantasy we create is wonderful. The fantasy we create is amazing. Me being able to and have the ability to take that fantasy and put it on screen and entertain people, I think, is magic. But also, 
being able to turn away from that, turn that off, and just go back to talking about the Dodgers and the Lakers and my favorite football team in Australia. And all of that is, is, is important to me. Right. Well, going back to what you were saying before about how when you act in a, in a film, you don't go in with the attitude, you don't go in with the, I'm the character, you... You, you, you're an actor. You're a professional. You go yep. in. You wait for it to start, and then, then you act, which is which is yep. your thing. Uh, when you're when you're with your wife, and she and she sees you in these movies, you, she she sees you in these parts. Does she ever have any interaction with you about how she likes it, where it should go? Do you ever ask her opinion on how she, how she likes it as well? That that's the fun part of our relationship. She'll when I'm rehearsing, she'll say to me, "Do you want me to do the other lines?" And I'll go. No, sweet. It's fine. I actually want to get the job. Um, it's 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 kind of it's it's funny because she love her to death. Couldn't act her way out of a public toilet. Um, and it's it's really funny is that she sometimes does that. She likes to talk to me about the characters and how I see them, and I always listen to her. And then I say, uh huh, and she goes, "Gonna do it your way, aren't you?" And I go, "Yep." <laughs> it's like, yep. <laughs> it, it, it's. It, it's it's fun. I mean, she understands that this is it's the same as I don't tell her how to run her company. It's right. just it's what right. I do for Lynn. But I love her talking to me about it. Believe me, we talk about the films I do all the time. And uh, sure. there are certain films that she loves that I've done, which she would talk to me about. Some that she's hated. Um, so we, right. you know, it's not a it's not an I love Vernon thing at home here. It's like, sometimes it's like, right. dear God, why did you do that? You know, where, where, what were you thinking? Um, so yeah, we have these discussions about it, but, uh, yeah, as far as, um, letting her work with me on my script, that uh, really doesn't work out very well. <laughs> you know, you have a, a litany of, of movie projects. You have production, acting, writing, but the one thing I think a lot of people don't know about you is that you do a lot of voice work as well. You did The uh-huh. Ultimate Spider-Man. You did Dungeons & Dragons, Dragon Shred. You, you did a lot of different, different characters, in, for the, for, at least for the video game, for Power Rangers as well. And How did you get into that, and, and how do you feel about, about doing video games and video games? You did Darksiders 2. Yep. Um, uh, no, I did Darksiders 1 and 2. Nice. Um, I, I actually... You know, a long time ago, when I first came over here, somebody said to me, you have an amazing voice, you should do voiceover. And I said, yeah, that's never going to happen. Because I hate my voice, just so you know. And um, I wouldn't do anything about it. Then finally, I I kind of acquiesced and I went and I got an agent who had no idea what to do with me. So for a year and a half, I did two auditions. And I decided that that was, I was right all along, that I had no voiceover career and I wasn't going to do it. And I, excuse me, I wasn't interested. And I just left them and didn't even think about it. And then a good friend of mine said to me one day, you know that Steve, is, who's another good friend, is the um, studio manager at uh, one of the top voiceover talent um, agencies. And I went, oh, that's nice. And we were having a barbecue and Steve was here and he came over and he started talking to me. He said, you know what, I'd like you to put a tape together because one of the, the um, agents at the uh, agency is Troppo of um, Wes out of Mad Max. In fact, he has your picture in his office. 
And I said, you're kidding. And he said, wow. no. So uh, just, you know, could you put a tape together? Because maybe they'd be interested. And I said, you know, Steve, I'm not really interested in doing voiceover. And he said, well, just do it for me. So I went, oh, whatever. So I went and put a tape together, sent it to them. And they sent it back to the guy that I'd done it with the studio. I'd done it in and asked them to do certain things to it. And then they sent it back. And um, they had a meeting and they said, we want to hire you. Um, you know, we want you on our rosters. So I said, all right, I'll give it a bash once more. Within two weeks, I was doing a series of things for the Army, believe it or not, the American Army. There were those um, uh, little things where they go, if you're having trouble and you feel that you should kill somebody, maybe you should talk to the chaplain. Or, you know, it was one of those. And I said to the... Like a, PS the, like a PSA. The PSA, yeah, for the Army. And I said yeah. to the guy that was producing it um, I, I said why would you use me I'm an Australian and you didn't ask me to do an American accent and he said because that's the point he said they don't listen to an American accent because wow. you're different the minute your voice comes on people go what and they listen to listen so he said you know you're, you're perfect for what we need so I said oh okay so I did it then not long after that I got my first um, asked to audition for my first game and uh, I went and did that, and then I got in with um, a big-time um, game producer who does all the, the game production and stuff here in California, and he started using me on, on all of his stuff that he was doing, like you know, Ultimate Spider-Man and all those, and um, then I was fortunate enough to get cast as one of the leads in uh, the the wonderful one that you mentioned there, which I played um, Samuel, who was the archangel. And right. I, I, I love it. I've done uh, two um, animated films um, that uh, uh, drawn together the movie, the movie, um, yes. which I played the boss, the big boss. The studio just, Sorry? The studio head. I, I actually really like that yeah. film. I, 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 I actually had it. no idea you were in that film until I, I, until I, I saw your IMDb. Couple of I'm like, oh, I saw this film. I didn't know he was in it. Yeah, I played the, the studio head, the boss. And, and I mean, I just loved it. It was so irreverent. And I just was like, oh, yeah. my God, you guys, seriously. And they, they loved <laughs> what I would do with it. So I had a ball doing it. I love voiceover yeah. simply because... I can drag my butt into a voiceover studio in my underwear and nobody cares. I can look like <laughs> I've been drinking for the last 48 hours and they don't give a continental as long as my voice is there. And I love it because right. I, I don't have to put on anything. I can just walk in the studio, they give me a bottle of water and an apple and that's it. They lock the door and they say, you're coming out when we finish. And I get to do it and have fun with it. I get to have fun with the characters, and I get to do all these really weird characters. Um, it's yeah, it's it's one of my my enjoyments is doing the voiceover. Right, that that is awesome. I, we love you know, and it is it's funny when you said that. I, I didn't actually realize that people would come up with that concept, but it is true. Americans have a hard time listening to Americans if they if they heard your voice. I think their ears would perk up. That's a, that's a great mm -hmm. point that you made there. Yeah. So you went on and... Go ahead. I'm sorry? I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Okay, good. So, so you went on to this voice work, 
brilliant work. I love Darksiders too, and I didn't know that it was that it was you. You went on after that, and, and you got attached to the Lackey Project with uh, Sean Piccinino and Jason Sanders. How did that come about, and how did you agree to go into that? Because I know the film was already somewhat finished by the time you were attached to the film. To the Lackey? Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I never wanted to do it. I thought it was a crap project, but, you know, they, they just <laughs> throw all this money at me, and I thought, you know what? This is going to probably be the low life hell? of my career, so what the hell? Um, no, I, I actually, I know, uh, one of the actors in that, uh, film, um, DJ, um, yes. he, uh, knew me from my Facebook and I'd met him a couple of times and he actually came onto my Facebook and said, you know, I'm doing this film and they need this character and it's only for a, a you know, a couple of scenes, but would you mind if I threw your name out? And um, I sort of wrote back to him and I said, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, if they're interested, please ask them to send me some information about it so I can see what it is. So he uh, he sort of, I guess, threw my name into the pot and um, I guess you guys said, oh my gosh. Um, and then the material was sent to me and I loved it. I mean, I loved the idea of the character, and I loved the film. I mean, when I read the script, it was like, wow, if this, if this film is half as good as this script, it's going to be a ball terror. I could never see it being as good as the script because the action was too good. I couldn't see anybody being able to do all that stunt. When it was, and I mean, I loved the, the day that I put in with you guys shooting in the limo and doing all that stuff with the guys. I just had so much fun and it was such a pleasure but when it was over and then I went and saw the the screening with you guys I was just blown away I was like oh my god and to see all of all of the the stunt work that he did that was in camera all of that action um all the fight sequences I was like this is un and I was so proud to be a part of it, and I so desperately wanted to stay a part of it. It was unbelievable, because I said to Sean, you know, you, you know you signed a contract with me for two more. And he was like, yeah, I know. And I said, yeah, don't forget it, you know, like, I'm holding you to it, you little shit. Um, because yeah. I, I was just so like, wow, I, I've got to be involved in this. I was looking at your face, and I was, you know, I don't get nervous anymore. It's just one of those things, but I, I do get a little concerned. I was looking at your face and really hoping you would like the film, and uh, I was very happy when you did. I was very happy when your wife liked the film, I'll be honest. Oh, when you liked the film, you know, I was very happy when you... What? It was actually funny when we were sitting there watching it, because Bass was sitting beside Sean, and I think you were sitting down a little bit from us, but it was like Sean graced me. And we're watching the film, and Grace, the film's going on and on and on. You, you hear me do that little voiceover part with the phone going on and on and on. And she turns to me when the end of the film's coming up, and she goes, didn't like it, did they? I went, I think you're right. And she said, yep, figures, you're on the, you're on the cutting room floor. And she turned to Sean, and she went, and before she could say a word, he just looked at her, he went, wait. And she went, what? He said, wait. And she just sort of Wait. sat back, and then uh, the, the you know the titles are coming up and going. And she sort of started to look at him again. And he went, ah, he was wonderful. I love him. And she just sort of looked at the screen. Then I came on, and she went, oh my god. 
She was so excited for those two scenes because they work so well. And um, even I was. I just sat there and went, oh, that is so awesome. And uh, it just fitted into the whole scheme of how the film had to play into the next one, and I just loved it. We got the sequel written, and we, we, you're, you're a major part of it, and, and you were such a joy to have there. And, and it was really uh, quite uh, inspiring as well as awe, awe-inspiring because to have somebody that you grew up with watching in the cinema, dreaming and fantasizing about making movies, and then having that guy sit next to you as you're watching the movie, written the piece for him is very surreal. Uh, and, and it was uh, one of the most joy parts of my entire career. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, as far as writing goes, I, I just, you know, I, I am still in awe of what I do. Um, I just love it, and uh, you know, it always intrigues me. I, I had a thing the other day. Um, God, what was it? It was something um, that I was doing, and they had written on it that, uh, oh yeah, the film was uh, starring so and so and so and so, and Australia's most iconic actor. Bernard G. Wells, and I look at that and I go, "What? Who? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, oh God, that's me. Uh, it's still right. I I just get so bemused by the whole thing. I, I, I to me, it's like I'm doing my job. I'm enjoying myself, and you know, I'm just thrilled that people like what I do. God. And um, well, if, any, if anybody in America knows their history, they, they know that Australia has always been on America's side. And every war that we fought since World War One, these guys have uh-huh. been our compadres. In cinema, these guys have been part of our biggest part of our cinema history. You're looking at Hugh Jackman. You're looking at some of the greatest yep. stars coming out of Australia. Boz Lerman. I mean, these people come out to America and they make a big, big splash. You were the beginning of that uh, step over from Australia to America. Yeah, I was extraordinarily fortunate. And, and you know what? I always feel blessed because I was. Um, I don't take it for granted. Um, I love what I do. I, every time I get hired to do a film, I'm always so happy to be on the set and to be doing it. And, you know, I'm always amazed by the way people react to me, which is funny, just a little story. I do a... Um, an internet series called Western X. And I love it. It's it's won like multiple awards. And um, I even won an award for being one of the producers, which I I thought was hysterical. Um, But uh, I do that that show. And when I first got asked to do it, it was a game because one of the people on the, the show, they were looking for someone to play this iconic character. And they couldn't find anybody that suited them. And then um, one of the special effects guys said, well, Vernon Wells is, and I am one of his friends. And he said, Vernon Wells is one of my friends. You know, do you want me to contact him? And they were like, you're kidding, right? And he went, no, he's a buddy. They went, you could contact him. And so, of course, he contacted me. I contacted them. I got the script, loved it. And it was the funniest thing. They flew me up to the set. And when I arrived at the airport, I was picked up in a limousine by this driver, and I'm like, the hell? They took me from the airport to this amazing hotel, which is like a spa retreat. And I was like, why the hell would they be putting me up here? I mean, this they don't have the money to do this. You know, they're trying desperately to put this thing together and get it shot, and they're wasting money on this crap. 
And then, of course, I turn up at the at on location, and they've got this huge trailer laid out with like so much food you you would seriously you couldn't eat it with twelve of your friends to make right. sure that I was happy. And I I said to the um, I said to Michael, the director and creator, I, I sort of took him aside and I said, uh, Michael, what is all this? And he said, That's for you, man, because you know who you are. I went, Michael, I get up in the morning, I take a shower, I have a piss, I put my clothes on the same way you do, and I roll out the door thinking I'm still alive, it's a great day, I don't need this crap. And he was like, right. oh. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> seriously, you don't have to do this. You know, just having having me in a room would have been fine. I didn't need all this this. Bullshit. So I had all the crew and cast in my trailer all day eating all the food. Um, but, you know, I, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't appreciate it. It's not that I don't think it's amazing people do that for me. I just sure. find sometimes you don't need to do it to impress me. Yes. And you don't need to do it to make me feel that I am somebody special because I'm not. I'm just another one of the actors doing a job. I'm there to work. Yeah, I like to have a trailer. I like to be able to have somewhere to rest, and I like the fact that I can have something to eat. But right. it doesn't have to be anything different to what everybody else has got. And uh, it just I you, sometimes I've got That's what makes you special. Sort of, yeah. That, that's, well, it's the way I special, Vern. It, it, you're, you're a very humble human being. It, it, it's actually quite shocking, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I grew up in L.A., and I've to say that I've met movie stars is kind of like saying I've gotten a headache once in my lifetime. You know, I've met a, a thousand movie stars in LA. It's the way you grew up, you know. I, I went to school yeah. with, with movie stars and have best friends who are movie stars. But, you know, they always have the sense of here are my friends and here is the public. And when I, whenever I've met you, it's always been these are just people and I'm just a person and I'm going to communicate with these people. Very simple, simple kind of communication style. And it's very awe-inspiring because you'd expect a person like you, yourself of a high caliber to kind of kind of aloof, but you're not. You're very approachable. You're very sweet. You're very nice. I see pictures of you always going to the cons, always going to the different fairs, and meeting people, visiting people, taking pictures of them. They bring up pictures of the most obscure projects you've done, and you sign them with a smile on your face. And that's very yeah. rare in Hollywood. So you're, you're, you know, you're an incredible human being. Oh, crap. I know, right? I'm going to do, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do you again. All right. <laughs> so, I don't before I embarrass you too much, I'm sorry. you are incredible. I, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, you know, growing up with those three films, you know, there, there are several people that have pop culture references that blow your brains up. But Vernon G. Wells is definitely one of those people that absolutely, if you were not born in the, in the 70s or in the 80s, and, and that person is not imprinted in your brain somehow, then you didn't watch any of the movies that we saw. Because you were an incredible character. Well, thank you. Was, I don't want to embarrass funny. you. <laughs> didn't embarrass me. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, I know I have to accept it. And, and it, it's one of those things where you kind of say, all right, you know, people like you just accept it and, and be grateful that people like you because they can hate you. And the funny thing is that someone came onto my Facebook about something I did by accident on my Facebook. Yeah. And they were really pissed about it. And they sort of did this whole thing about, you know, you know, Bernard Wells should have more common sense and do something like that. 
And it was just a dumb little thing that I had done. One of these ad things that come on where if you click on it, it goes out to everybody on your Facebook. I didn't know that. I was trying to erase it. I wanted to get rid of it. And I didn't realize that by clicking on it to try and erase it, I'd send it out to everybody. And um, my assistant sort of told me later that you don't do that. This is how you do it. And I didn't know. So it was just a, a simple mistake. It wasn't something that was malicious or anything. So, um, but this guy came onto my Facebook and he sort of was jumping up and down and, and all this. And then somebody else came on and said, how dare you talk about Vernon Wells like that? You don't know him. You've never met the guy. Um, he, you know, he blah, blah, blah. And then he came back and he said, right. Vernon Wells is probably the second most irrelevant fucking human being on this planet. He was something in the 80s. He's crap now. And oh God, it opened the flood doors. It was like, I just... I, in fact, in the finish, I erased everything. It was just getting out of control. All these people coming on, and then a good friend of mine said that he went on his website because he was really mad. He was going to go on his website right. and like, lay into him. And, uh, and he's a director, by the way, that I've done three films for. And he went on his website, right. and he said to me, I was talking to him the other day, and he said he had on his website this big thing saying, today I will find someone that I can fight with someone that I can really give a lot of shit to and I don't care who it is. And guess who it was? Ah, you. What impressed me was not what he did. I, I mean, I don't care about what people say. It's their privilege. We all can say and feel and, and think what we like. And uh, But what impressed me was how many people came to my defense. It was just amazing that all these people just came to my defense. I was like, wow, that is right. kind of cool. Um, they just weren't going to let somebody say that about me. So that, yeah. That's an incredibly strong statement that you're the most irrelevant. It, I, I would say that's hilarious to me. You, you know, it's funny is, is that you worked on the uh, on movies with people who no longer work on movies. That's how relevant you are in the movies. Is that you've been I know, in it's huge just... movies with people who no longer act anymore, and you still act. Yeah, it's 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 so, funny because people tend to have their own thoughts, and that's fine. You know, I, I always look at it. Anybody can say and think and feel what they like. You know, that's the whole point of the society we live in, and you accept it. You go, yeah, that's cool. That's your opinion, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you have it. Um, I'm not going to fight you over it, but, you know, I have this whole thing where my grandfather instilled into me that that you fight – for the people closest to you, you know, you protect with your life the people around you that would protect you with theirs. And that's how I've always looked at things, is that the people around me that would defend me are the people I will defend. All the rest of them, fine, you know, you can say what you like. You're not going to hurt anybody. Right. Well, that's wonder, my philosophy, you know, and I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Well, we're, we're running quickly out of time. I can talk to you literally for five. I, I love talking to you, but I want to finish off with two projects that, you, that you've been working on. One is Like a Bat Out of Hell, and the other one is uh-huh. Dr. Jekyll. So, so Like, oh, like yes. a Bat Out of Hell, you, you, you just said you just finished some of the green screen work um, directed yeah. by uh, Danielle Donay, uh, starring Vernon yeah. Wells, uh, Rachel Murphy, Marco, Marco Daper. Uh, how about this project? How's it going along? How's, how's it finishing off? What's going on with this thing right now? Um, where we have 
Uh, we have um, a lot of interest in distribution, a lot of interest. So we actually had the distributor on the uh, green screen set the other day who was um, having a chat to me and Daniel telling us that um, there was a lot of interest in putting the film out simply because it's a, it's a horror movie, but it's a subject that people have not seen and handled in a way that people haven't seen. So there's a hook, and he thinks it's going to be really... It's going to be a little cult classic. It's going to go extraordinarily well. Biggest problem we've got at the moment is we've shot all of what we needed to shoot, but we've run out of money rather rapidly, so I'm trying to round up some money to finish it off. Um, but apart from that dumb part, the whole film is looking amazing. We had a very good friend of mine, Sean Kane, uh, has re-edited with uh, Daniel the film and uh, has really made it, it hum. Excuse me. And now these green screen bits that we had to do for the creature and for the fight sequences with the creature are really going to make the film amazing. And um, it'll be an exciting project to see when it is finished. It'll be really interesting to uh, have a look at it. So that's uh, kind of where that one is. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde, oh my God, I had so much fun doing that 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 little film. It was such a joy. Well, you were in that film with, Sorry? You were with Sean Piccinino, David Beatty, uh, Margaret O'Brien, uh, uh, yep. Mickey Rooney. You know, yes. uh, Brian, uh, Brian Masugla directed you on that film. Uh, but yep. This is Mickey Rooney's last film. So uh, how did that yep. film come about? And how, how much did you enjoy being on that set? You look incredible. I, then, I, was, I just loved it. I didn't get to see Mickey, which was, and the funner, funniest thing happened. I turned up, he worked, the, I worked the day before and the day after his last day, which was such a shame. I never actually got to work with him. But his um, stepson uh, came up, he, he was on the set with uh, Mickey's, uh, I guess, ex-wife. And... Um, he came up to me and he said, I have something for you from my, fa from my father. And I said, I'm sorry, he said, from Mickey Rooney. And I said, oh, why would you have something for me? He said, well, when Mickey found out that you were on the set, he desperately wanted to meet you because he wanted to talk to you and to discuss film with you. He loves what you've done. And so he wow. signed an autographed picture for you. And unfortunately, he never got to deliver it, but I'm delivering it. And you know what? That killed me. That was awesome. probably one of the, the sweetest, most amazing things that has happened to me in a long time, was that this man who is, is way beyond where I will ever uh, 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 try to become was just like an iconic symbol of, of what an actor should be, an amazing, amazing human being, who had the time, even when it was his last days, wanted to meet right. me, of all people, wanted to talk, and then when he couldn't, had an autographed photograph that he had done delivered to me after his death. I mean, how special does that's that incredible. get? That's incredible. That is just, that's like, just plainly incredible. Yeah, that, that's, that, that makes us all humble. You know, that takes you, no matter who you think you are, and brings you all the way back by the, by the ass of your pants and, and sits you down and right. says, hey, you're not as big as you think you are. There are people out there that are much bigger and more humble than you are. And that's, so, so that's you, the point. That, that's awesome to hear that you still get, uh, that's awesome to hear that you still get starstruck or, or that you, you still feel that uh, Hollywood or entertainment, um, like royalty almost. Because that, that's what he was. He was, 
he was movie royalty or or media royalty where he was very consistent, a very good guy, did a great job yep. acting, uh, a fantastic character. But you didn't get a you didn't get a chance to, to work on him with this. Um, nope. So when you took the picture home with you, what did you do? You, you, you frame it? Do you show your wife? It's, it's going happened? up. Oh no, I showed my wife instantly. I actually rang her from the set and told her I was in tears. I told her when, right. when I, and and I was just so emotional about it, and I brought it home, and that's that's going on the wall of my office. That's a special, special tribute. You don't that's get awesome. that very often, and when you do, it's like, oh my God, you know, this is just amazing. And uh, I would have loved to have worked with him, but I didn't get the chance, unfortunately. But the film itself, I love. I love the film. It just, I had so much uh, fun doing it. So much fun. You play you you play S, Mr. Enfield in the film. I, yep. I, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be executive producing the film as well. It's, it's I'm very very happy about that. I'm very happy that you're part of the project as well. Uh, when they asked me to be part of the project, I was, I was very happy and very proud. Especially when I saw the cast list. When I saw you involved and I saw Mickey Rooney involved, I'm like, I want to be part of this as soon as possible. Uh, so a lot of the special effects films that you saw for the green screen, that camera was mine. Um, so I, I love seeing uh, that. I love seeing the trailer. Did you see any of the footage uh, later on, and, and how did you feel? I haven't, I haven't seen anything. Hmm. Not a frame. They hate me. <laughs> hate is a strong word. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Dislike immensely. How's that? Right, exactly. So we finished with Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and we let's go back to Like Bad Out of Hell because we, we want to mention the people just in case we want to do some crowdfunding or some more money for this film. How, how can we get involved with with adding money to Like a Bad Out of Hell? Um, if people want to help um, with what we don't need that much. It's not like we're looking for um, zillions of dollars. We just need the money to complete right. what we're doing and do the, the final mixes and things. And um, right. I think if I was able to say it on air, we're looking for around 20 grand. Okay. And that's uh, basically it. Um, everything else we've got. Um, and all I have to do is come onto my website um, there's a lot of stuff on my um, Facebook about the film and just contact me or uh, just go on there and um, see where they can do it. So should we go on the Facebook and bad, uh, type in like Bad Out of Hell and then, then it'll come up or should we type in Vernon G. Wells? No, I'd go in onto mine and you'll see it on my, web, on my Facebook. And then, oh, just contact me through my Facebook. Is the uh, probably the easiest way, and I'll just respond. All right, guys, come on to our Facebook on the Cinema Files Radio, and then you'll see a bunch of links going on to Mr. Vernon Wells's uh, private stuff, IMDb, Bad Out of Hell, all the projects he's working on, and future projects he's working on as well. So, what what, what are you working on next? What was what's next for the the great Mr. Vernon Wells? And let me ask you a question. Um, well, this is a question that's burning my brain this morning. Why were you not at Comic-Con? I, I would love to have seen you at Comic-Con. You know what? I used to go to Comic-Con that became so bloody expensive, and they're not nice to actors, so that I decided I wasn't going to go anymore. <laughs> they, do they crowd you and, like, stumble onto you? No, 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 no. Not the people. No, no, no. I mean the Comic-Con people. Oh. Not, not the fans. Right. The fans are adorable. I love the fans. It's just that... They have all these uh, uh, 
archaic rules and they do things that are really not good for actors and it, it's just it's not a, it's it's all about Comic-Con has gone from being a fan-based thing of, of going to see your favorite actor and, and comic heroes and things to what's the next big movie, what's the next big star on television, what's the next big thing from a major studio. So right. it's really all about the major studios and not about the general public. And I think that that's kind of when you get into that point that is and the people that are in the film so you know it's it's right. extremely expensive to go down there for five days so i just said you know and mostly i'm working when it comes up to i just finished the film and came back so i wouldn't have been able to go anyway was that was that uh what film was that rum runners oh rum runners that's right after birth yeah. I mean, you have so many things in post-production pre-production i mean throwback savior of none cowboys versus dinosaurs alien hunger the sector the, the, the solicitors hiding go seek dr jekyll you know tom yeah. hennessy jurassic city edgar Allan poe's lighthouse keeper don't wait till yep. dawn but these are all in filming or in post or pre-production uh rum runners yep. the darling clementine lucky valentine shades of vengeance a promise made three solitude i mean these are you're going into 2015 now. I know. So you're, still you're just <laughs> brilliant. People still want you, obviously. I, are, is your career just finding a second, a, a third, or fourth wing or breath for you right now? Or, I, I, I think it's. You know what is is really amazing is that the older I've got, the more work I've got. Um, people just keep hiring me. I mean, it's out of control. Um, I, I think someone said the other day that. Last year, I put together like seven or eight films, and this year, I'm up to my fourth or fifth now. Um, I just keep getting the work. Um, you know what? I don't look at it and try to figure it out. I just say, thank you, God. I'm going to do it. Nice. You want me? I can still walk. I still get out of bed in the morning, and I still manage to be able to make my way to the toilet on my own. I'm doing it. Right. So um, I'm having a ball, and there's yeah, there's a lot of stuff. And you forgot one film in there, Lackey Two. Yes. Ah, oh, the Lackey be, Two. We we already finished that script too. Yes, Lackey Two will be in there, and um, there's a couple of other films which I've actually been offered in the last week. Uh, one I'll be shooting possibly in Hawaii in September, end of September, and another one I'll yeah. probably be shooting up in. Um, Alaska in October. Um, it's, you know what? I just, I'm amazed that people still want to use me, number one. And I'm more amazed that every time, and, and most of the work I get is that, like, I did a little film, Hide and Go Seek. Yes. They hired me for, they could only have me for two days. They wanted me for a week. They could only have me for two days because I had to fly off and do um, Rum Runners. So they said, okay, we'll shoot everything over two days. I was actually two nights starting at um, like 8 o'clock at no, – no, starting at 10 o'clock – yeah, starting at 10 o'clock at night, going through till 12 the next day for two days. All these scenes um, for this film. I didn't go seek. Right. So I went in. We did it. Um, the producer walked up to me after 
I guess, an hour of my working in the first night and said, I'm doing this film straight after this, which I want you to do the lead in. That's how I get most of my work. <laughs> they just, you know, I'm working on a project and then they go, well, I've got another project coming up. Will you do it? Um, and I love it, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess, in your vernacular, good enough that people see me work and want to keep working with me. And the per- and the personality matters a great deal. I, I've got to say, your personality means a great deal because your acting is one thing, your your presence is another thing, and also your personality because you're very affable, you're very friendly. I know it's hard for people sometimes to see that because they see the the gruff face, and then sometimes they see the you know they see the movie posters and what have you. But you know, Vernon G. Wells is a very very kind man. Let, let me ask you a question here, and this is for the audience. If I was starting off in Hollywood again, let's just say I'm in Australia right now or New Zealand or London, and I want to come out to America and I'm 18, 21 years old, what are, what are some positive things you can tell me on how you would do things differently or the same to have the kind of career you've had throughout all these years? Um, I'd stay in Australia and uh, become a um, an engineer. No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> You know what? To me, it's always been the same thing. I get asked to do uh, stuff with kids all the time and to talk to kids, and I always tell them the same thing. There are two things. Luck and destiny. It's, it's the simplicity. Before you decide you're going to be anything, make sure you have a backup plan. My father made me finish my schooling and become an engineer. I actually had a degree in electrical engineering before I was allowed to follow my dream. Because his whole thought was, if you don't make it, he never said I wouldn't make it, he just said if you don't make it in an industry which is is known for, for dragging people in and spitting them out the other end, uh, then right. you'll have something to fall back on. And that was the whole thing behind that. Secondly, it's called learn your craft. This is a career acting. This is not something that you go into wearing a little cap that says, I'm an actor, I'm wonderful. The people that are picked up off the sidewalk or in a coffee shop or seen and become stars is minuscule to the amount of people that have to slave and sweat and do theater and do television and do whatever until they get that break. The break doesn't come for everybody. It can't. If the break came for everybody, there would be 350,000 stars out there. It doesn't right. happen for everybody. doesn't mean you're not a brilliant actor. I have met people who have not got the break who make me look bad twice over. They are just wonderful. Right. But for some reason, I don't know what it is, whether they just don't have that thing... I guess the, the, the point comes across that, that you have to have that presence on camera. The camera has to love you, as they say. Um, as you can hear, the helicopters are buzzing by my house rather lower. Maybe they know I'm doing a, tele, a, a radio they, interview and they're all waving. I don't know. I get... I, they are. It's your fans out there. I think so. My God, they're below my house. That's what's so scary is that the helicopters go below me. I'm up so high. Um, You're like, Ben. And so, I, I, you know, I always look at it, at it very simply. You, you've got to have a very thick skin and, and never take no for an answer. It's that simple. The person who puts his foot in the door and keeps it there 
and refuses to take his foot out, gets the attention. It's that simple. Every time somebody says no, you just get more and more pissed off that you're going to make it and you try harder. And that's the theory. I mean, with me, it was really simple. When I first decided I was going to follow this as a career, I did an interview for the Australian um, Theatre Company. And I shouldn't be saying this on air, but I am. I did an interview for the Australian Theatre Company. I was on stage on my own, terrified. I was a young kid at that stage, just coming into acting, just decided this is where I was going to go. And I was scared witless about being in this huge theatre auditioning for the Melbourne Theatre Company. There was one person there, the head of the Melbourne Theatre Company, and there was me. And they had one light in the middle of this dark theatre in the middle of the stage, which I had to stand under. And I had to deliver a soliloquy, which I did very badly because my voice trembled, I stuttered, I kept forgetting where I was. Every conceivable thing that can happen to a kid that is terrified happened to me. When it was all over, this voice came out of the, the, the dark and said, Mr. Wells, as long as God gives you the grace to have your ass point towards the floor, you will never be an actor. Get off my stage. That man created me. Wow. If, if that had never happened to me, I probably never would have bothered to keep pushing to be who I am today. I probably would have just ambled along doing my thing and wandered off and probably became a director of commercials and things and stayed there. That man pissed me off so much. That I his was determined. Pushed you. Sorry, nice. his obstinance pushed you. Yes, and you know what so, I always said to myself: one day I will come back, and he will ask me to do something, and I will say no. And believe it or not, right. God was kind enough to allow that to happen. That after I'd done Road Warrior, Commando, Weird Science, I was back in Australia. And there was, uh, I'd done some interviews on radio, uh, I'm sorry, on television and the newspapers. Of course, my name was out there and I got a call from um, some people in in Melbourne saying that the Melbourne Theatre Company would like to see you about a stage play they're doing. And it was the Spider Woman. And uh, I went in and they offered me the role in the Spider Woman and I turned it down. And then I went outside and I beat my head against the brick wall and said, why did you do that? And cried a lot. But right. I could not have worked there without having done that. I had to get out of my system this feeling that I had because of what had happened to me originally and now I had succeeded. And they had no idea who I was, by the way, when I went in. Um, I had succeeded, and now I was able to be on my terms. I don't regret not doing it, and yet I do regret not doing it. But I think it was something I had to clear out of my mind and get myself to another place, if you understand. Um, But once again, if that man had never said that to me, I never would have continued on and become who I am. And and that's my thing for a 21-year-old that wants to come over here, be humble, don't think that you're an actor. Think that you're in a trade that you need to learn. Come over here willing to learn, willing to pick up, willing to to be told. Then also be prepared that sooner or later someone is going to tell you how bad you really are regardless of how bad you really are. 
and that you have to take right. that as a positive, not a negative. Never take anything as a negative. Take it as a positive. If somebody says to you, I hated your audition, that's not a negative. That's a positive. You did something wrong. Fix it. If someone says, right. you were on set and I didn't like how you did that, that take, it's a positive. Learn from it. That's the point. And if you can continue to learn from all of these things and continue to progress forward, who you want to be, and that is somebody that is an actor. And be proud of that name. We are called actors for a reason because that is what we do. Be very proud of it. You're not yeah, perfect a director or a producer. You're an actor and accept it and love it. Well, we, we have two minutes and 30 seconds left, Vern. That was excellent way to end the show. Very positive. Everybody... The great Vernon G. Wells, who is part of our 80s cultures, 90 cultures, 2000 cultures here. Vernon Wells, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We very much appreciate it. We want to see more projects from you. We would love to hear from you again. I hope you had a good time today. At a ball, you know, that I would do anything for you, my friend. And uh, this has just been... Yeah, this has been fun. It's taken us so long to get it together for me to actually do it. Um, that I, 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 I remember the last time we were trying to do it, I was on location, remember? And, and we couldn't get the phone to work. Yes. I know. But we got ourselves together now, and, and God bless you. And thank you so much for being on the show. We're, we're about to close right now. But is there anything else you'd like to, to say before, before we, we close out the show, sir? Um, no, what I would like to say is thank you from the bottom of my heart to all my fans and from all the people that appreciate what I do. I love you and it's because of you I am who I am and to all the people that want to get into this business, please treat it as career. It is not something to be played with. This is a very, very wonderful thing to do and it is very professional. Don't screw with it. Words to live by. Thank you, Vernon G. Wells. Thank you so much. Everybody, we're going to put up all of Vernon's stuff on Facebook today so you can check out all the things. You can private message him and out of Bad Out of Hell and all the other projects that he's been working on. Sir, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and every yourself a fantastic weekend, my friend. Thank you. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, being on the set for The Lackey 2, babe. <laughs> thank you, sir. Have yourself a great weekend. God bless. Thank you, mate. Bye. All right, that was the always fantastic Vernon G. Wells. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show today. As you can tell, I was super excited to have him on the show. Uh, I've been waiting a long time. He really was a gigantic part of the pop culture at the beginning of, of my movie, movie thinking, movie making, movie desire, my writing process when I was young. Listen, that was some of the best advice I've heard from an actor in a long time. Please listen to that positivity instead of that negativity and see your dreams come true. God bless you all. I really appreciate you listening today. The great energy wells on today. Mm-hmm.